Okay. Good morning. Uh, not too bad for Memorial Day weekend. That Memorial Day weekend is the always the lowest attended Sunday nationwide because um, of summer starting. And then uh, Labor Day is the second least attended uh, as people get that last trip in. But this is great. We're glad that you're here. And just as we always begin by saying, if you're a guest, this is your first, second, or third time, would you please fill out the registration, rip it off, drop it in the offering plate. Even if you filled out the thing out there, this is for me so that I can send you a letter and thank you for being with us today. Um, this is Man Up Week. So men, this will be our last time for the summer uh, on Tuesday evening. And men, uh, we'd love to have you come. It is an awesome time. Great food, great fellowship together, a Bible study, and you're done at 8 o'clock. We send you on your way. So we'd love to have you come and be a part of that. Um, say a little bit more about um, Memorial Day in just a minute. Um, vacation Bible School. Again, it's full. There is a waiting list, but they would love to have you still sign up if you would like for your kids to be a part. And we're trying to figure out a way that maybe we can squeeze in 10 or 15 more. So if you'd like to, uh, go ahead and sign up for that anyway. All right, this is Memorial Day weekend, as you know. And Memorial Day weekend has been rightfully described, um, as I see it over and over on some post on Facebook and so forth. This is not a time where we uh, really remember everyone that served. It's everyone that died. And I think that's vitally important. I watched a, um, as you know, I've told you, I watch a lot of travel shows. And um, one this last week was dealing just with Normandy. And what really hit me was the number of thousands of graves of our men that were still over there. And, you know, on foreign soil, that they died over there so that we could still be over here. I think that's very, very important. So um, I'm going to pray for us and about this. And then when we get ready to ask you to stand, uh, the first song we're going to do is a throwback. Uh, I asked Nancy to find it. And um, because the wording is what we're going to be talking about in the message. And if you can find it and get it in the message, you win the prize. Don't tell you what the prize is. But anyway, so... I'm going to ask you, if you would, please, to join me in a word of prayer. Father, this morning, we come to you to thank you for the very fact that we are here. We, we, we're very concerned about our country that these men and women fought for and died for. And yet we still have the freedom to stand up here today and talk about you, to thank you for your hand upon us. But Lord, we really do want to, in the middle of this weekend of, of um, day off and vacations, and that we would remember that there were people who left their home over here, 18, 19, early 20s most, and went to a place they'd never seen before and died there so that we could still be here today. So we thank you for that in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand, welcome somebody around you.
Sweet day. 
Jesus, the name above all names, the name that will have every knee bow and confess that you are Lord one day. Jesus, we long for that day where we see you face to face. And until then, Jesus, we worship you as the risen, mighty, amazing, conquering king. Father, this morning as we begin and just to take up our tithes and offerings, Lord, may you use it to further your kingdom so that Jesus, your name, will be lifted high in all we do and all we say. For kingdom come, your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. kind of feel that way about that we will never forget <clears throat> we will always remember kind of the way I feel about the Civil War you know um, people said um, something about the Confederacy losing I said uh-uh I said I haven't surrendered yet so <laughs> all right Yankees I'm just kidding don't, you know, don't get all upset about that anyway good attendance for Memorial Day glad you're here um, last sermon in the series on He Must Increase or Follow Me kind of was a subtitle. And today's message, if you've noticed, is entitled, Are You Running For or From Your Life? <clears throat> and all of this will become clear. And a lot of the questions I'm going to ask up front will become clear as we go through the message today. But I thought it was kind of interesting in this man's life that we're going to be looking at. In fact, I really had two subtitles. One of them would be, what are you doing here? And you'll see why that in just a moment. But what I'd like to do is read you one verse of scripture from the Old Testament. And this to me is one of the strangest scriptures in the Bible. It's pretty normal sounding on the surface. But when I show you the background of this particular verse, then you'll understand why I think it's strange. It's found in 1 Kings 19 and verse 3, the first part of verse 3, simply says this, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. That's the first part of the verse. Now, it's strange to me for a lot of reasons. One, um, because Elijah was one of the boldest prophets that ever lived uh, in the Old Testament. In fact, I love the way his life unfolds in Scripture. It says that he stood for God boldly. His name, in case you don't know this, his name Elijah literally is translated this way, 
my God is Yahweh. That's, that's what his name means. So, I mean, just implied in that is that there's this comparison between the nation of Israel and how they've been living and following all these false prophets and turning away from God and Elijah coming around and saying, my name and my life is characterized by my name that my God is Yahweh. So let me show you how bold he really was. First Kings chapter 18 and in verse 21, I mean, if you look at that chapter and, and that verse, there, there was this um, um, UFC. What is it in that ultimate fighting? They had this UFC battle on Mount Carmel. It was called UFC BC, before Christ, on Mount Carmel. And what it is, is that Elijah is with 850 false prophets that the king and his wife have gathered in the nation of Israel to tell them all the bad things and to discredit God, the true God, and to tell them what they really wanted to hear all the time. Well, now they've assembled for a showdown. So what he says to the people, uh, Elijah, to all the Israelites that are there watching all this, and I imagine there had to be thousands, and here's what he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. You know, in the midst of us wanting to show grace and mercy and long-suffering, all the things that God shows to us, in the middle of all that, don't you sometimes want to say to the people in America, and in particular those that claim to be believers, how long are you going to waver? Choose one or the other. You know, get on one side or the other. But uh, anyway, that's what Elijah was doing here. And uh, so here we have hundreds of years, 700 almost to be exact, before Jesus Christ came into the world, we have this prophet who is saying to people, quit jumping around, you know, from God to God and, and trust wholeheartedly in the God of the Bible or just quit serving him altogether. Now, 1 Kings 19 is interesting that the same prophet who boldly called this whole nation to follow God oh, over in chapter 18, now in chapter 19, is running for his life. He's running for his life. Now, what I'd like to do is just illuminate that a little bit, if you'll just bear with me for a few more minutes. I'd like to give you, as you know, the background and then um, maybe... Um, a personal application that God wants to make in your life and in my life today. And, 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 and by the way, I want to fill you in by what we're going to say in this message of why strong people sometimes struggle. You know, there are strong Christians in this room right now, but sometimes we struggle, amen? I mean, that, that's just a fact of life. We, we really do. Um, I think the general mindset of people on the outside is that once you kind of reach a certain level in God, then, you know, yeah, you may have problems, but you're not going to struggle like everybody else. Well, you know, the truth is I probably struggle with things that you don't and you struggle with things that I don't, you know, but we, but we all struggle. And, and I was just thinking in some of this uh, preparation for the message, how maybe we pastors do a, a disservice to those that we lead when we don't present to them um, some of the paradoxes uh, that, that you find in Scripture. Now, you know what a paradox is, right? Not a paradox. That's what Tim the Toolman Taylor thought it was a paradox, but it's not a paradox. It's a paradox. A paradox, this is so interesting because you're going to really see this in this life of Elijah. It's when two things seem on the surface like they can't both be true, but they are true. That, that's what a paradox is. Now, that is different than a contradiction. Okay, a contradiction is two things that cannot be true. For instance, if you walked in here today and you said, man, it's raining cats and dogs out there. It's just pouring down. You know, and I said, there's not a cloud in the sky. Well, that's a contradiction. One of us is smoking something, but however... A, a paradox is when I'm saying something that seems to contradict what I'm saying. 
And you're going to see that in the life of Elijah. Now, Elijah, would you agree, was a great man of faith. Here's a man that prophesied a drought that was going to last for three years in the nation of Israel. And he did it because he was God's man and God told him to do it. Elijah was the, the internet, the high-speed connection between the main uh, the, the Israelite nation and, and God. And when, when Elijah said something was going to happen, it happened, you know, because God was telling him that. So when he went up on Mount Carmel and he said, look, if God is God, follow him. If he's not, then follow Baal. Uh, whenever he did that, he said, Lord, send fire from heaven and, and prove that I, what I'm saying is true. God did it. You know, he sent fire from heaven and validated his ministry. Now, we find ourselves at the end of that battle. Those 850 have, have all been killed and the beginning of another battle. And this is where it all starts, I believe, uh, uh, is applicable to us. 1 Kings 19.1. Now, Ahab, he's the king, told Jezebel, that's his wife, the queen, everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Now, again, he's the king, but really he didn't run the nation. Jezebel did. I mean, you know, we know that from scripture and we know that from reading in antiquity that she was the one really running the show. In fact, somebody said the last decision Ahab ever made was to say, I do. And after that, it, it was all over. So Ahab runs to Jezebel and, and, and just tells him what's going on. There was this showdown up on Mount Carmel. And all 850 of your prophets, the one that you, you know, that you got together from all over the nation that tells you just the things that you want to hear, that man that told us that it wasn't going to rain for three years and now we're in all kinds of trouble because it hasn't rained in three years, that guy that we've been chasing all over the nation looking for him, but we couldn't find him because God's been hiding him all this time, that's the guy. And here's what he did up, up on that mountain. So Jezebel is pretty upset. So she sends now a messenger to Elijah and says this, two and three. May the gods deal with me. Now notice the little gods, her gods, not the god, her little gods. And it's amazing to me that the, the, the little gods that couldn't even defeat one man with 850 prophets, she's calling on him now. I think that's funny. Anyway, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. Then it says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. See, that's what I just don't understand. Elijah, you just saw a demonstration of God, of how strong he was on a mountain. You, you had to face not only an evil king, and, but also the 850 of his false prophets in front of a whole nation. And now you're going to let one woman scare you to the point that you're going to run away from your ministry assignment? I don't understand that. But you know what? This is where I feel like that, in, in, as you know, I like to read a scripture and read into it. Not, not something that's not there. But what, is, what are they saying? You know, put myself in that situation and, and any questions that I might have had. I believe from the story that Elijah was not really running for his life. I believe he was running from his life. Are you wanting to know why? I believe he was running from his life because he knew now I've got to fight another battle. And he's tired, folks. He's just worn out. And I think that might describe a lot of the reasons why we, me and you, some of us run in this room. It's often not that we're afraid of, quote, dying, and I don't mean in a physical sense, or that something would happen so terrible in our lives that it might end, but I believe it's that daily fear. Are you listening to this? I think Elijah knows this woman can't kill him. She's been trying for three years, and God hit him everywhere every time she would try to find him. 
and 850 of her armed prophets couldn't kill this one man. So I don't believe that he was really afraid that she could kill him. If she could have, she would have already done it by now. I believe that Elijah is afraid, I got to live to fight another battle. And I'm tired and I'm weary. I mean, it's been three years, folks. He's been a fugitive. He's been hiding um, in a cave. So again, God is going to work in and through his life, but in a way that maybe we don't really get right off uh, when we first read this scripture. So I wonder what battles that some of you might be fighting right now. Um, And by the way, can you be in a battle and be afraid of that battle even if you know you're going to win it? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. That's where my mind is going. There have been several times in ministry where you, I, you knew a battle was coming. You knew something was going to happen and, and the battle was coming. And I knew we're going to win this battle. But I still hated it. And I still got discouraged. Why? Because I didn't have the energy, you know, or the strength to want to fight that battle. And I believe that is what is happening in Elijah. Now, as he runs for his life, He goes running way away from the place that God had called him to. So we read this in verse 3. When he came to Beersheba in Judah. Now, some of you don't know this. Beersheba was the southernmost point of the Holy Land, of of the, the nation of Israel and Judah. That's why sometimes you'll be reading in your scripture. And when they want to talk about something that happened all over the whole nation, they'll say, all the way from Dan to Beersheba. Because Dan was the northernmost city. Beersheba was the southern. So he has run a long way. So when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while himself, he went a day's journey more into the wilderness. And he's going away from the Lord, by the way. He's not going back toward him. And he came to a broom bush. You ever seen one of those? You know, really, they do make brooms out of them. Anyway, he came to a broom bush and sat down under it and prayed. What did he pray? That he might die. Now I'm really confused. Are you ready for the paradox? Or the paradox? All right, here it is. Here it is. Something that both of them, they don't seem like they could be true, but they are. The Bible says that he was running for his life, right? Well, when you're running for your life, it's, hey, get out of here. Run for your life. Why? Because you don't want to die. You want to make it. If you're running for your life, why are you asking God to kill you? See what I mean? To me, that's a paradox. I mean, does Elijah have great faith? Absolutely. But does he have great fears? Absolutely. And folks, can you have great faith and yet great fears? Yes, you can. I mean, you know, you, you could be, some of you in here could be afraid that, you know, you got to go home maybe to a marriage and it's, you're not afraid that the marriage is going to necessarily end. That's not what you're worried about. But you're, you're afraid that it's going to keep going the same way it has been year after year after year. And you'd like to see a change. See, the people that God uses are not people that are fearless, but people that are faithful. When they get knocked down, they get back up. The righteous, if he's knocked down seven times, he gets back up. See, the people that God uses are the people that are not afraid of failure. They're people that are willing to get back up and keep going. Now, I'm glad that the Lord gives me this description of Elijah. So God speaks to him. And what I want to do with all of that as a background introduction, I want to tell you three quick things that with the time that I have left up here today, the three things that God says to Elijah, and they're not dynamic because I just read the scripture and and picked these three things out. Um, And then we'll make a few uh, points about it and be done. So, all right, are you with me? All right, maybe there's somebody in here that's possibly running away. Um, Maybe this is for you. All right, here's the three things. Number one, he says, Elijah, get up and eat. 
That's a good one, isn't it? He asked God, remember, he asked God to take his life. Get up and eat. So it says in verse 5, he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. That's my life verse. I can live by that verse. Get up and eat. I could put that under my bio, pastor's favorite scripture, get up and eat. Anyway. But you know, if I, if I were, um, see, back then they had what they called a school of the prophets. Elijah and them were part of a whole group of prophets. And I think if I'd have been managing that system of prophets, I might be taking another look and, and trying to find somebody other than Elijah at this point because he's run so far away from the Lord. But then I get to thinking, folks, you talk about the grace of God. You talk about the love and the mercy and the, the slow to anger of God. Who else but God will feed you and sustain you when you're running away from him and running in the wrong direction? See, that's the story of my life. That's the story of your life, that God is, pursues us. God, that is one of the most amazing things to me, that even though I, fall, I fail him and I fall short, he comes after me. He won't let me go. That song, Old Love, that won't let me go. He just stays there with you all the time. But Elijah is running. Elijah is tired. And I believe he's kind of lost his perspective. Now, 1 Kings 19, 6 and 7. So he looked around and there by his head, not over there somewhere, but right there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals. David was telling me, he said, isn't that interesting that it wasn't probably some two or three day old bread. I mean, this is fresh smelling bread right then baked over hot coals. And that, I don't know about you, but, but you know, bread that's yeast, especially got yeast in it, when it's hot and fresh like that, it'll do something to you. And it says, um, and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord came back a second time. What kind of God not only feeds you, but then gives you dessert, you know, comes back a second time. Folks, that's the grace of God, amen? I mean, I think that what we have here is a picture of, of the God who would meet the physical needs of Elijah, even though he's run away. But I believe it's also a picture of how God's word meets our needs, the needs that we have in this room today. I was sharing with the first service how every week, you know, I go to, to get groceries and how it just amazes me, and I, and I do. Every week I, on the way home, I thank God for the unbelievable privilege to be able to just walk in a grocery store and pull stuff off of the shelf, throw in your buggy, take it home, put it where it needs to go, and you've got food. And you don't really, you wouldn't have to do anything. You didn't have to plow, didn't have to plant, didn't have to water, you know, harvest and clean, all that. It's already done for us. To me, that's like God saying, the food's right by your head, Lord. You know, I, I prepared it for you, and it's right there. God cooks for Elijah. Put the food right there. But, write this down. Even though God did all that, Elijah had to get up and eat for himself. Here's the message. God has given you and me his word. He's given us his promises. He's put you in what I think is a good church. And, uh, but folks, you've got to eat his word for yourself. You've got to get up and eat it. You've got to get up and apply it. I mean, God, how much easier can you make it for us? You put it right there by our head. And sometimes, are you listening to this? Sometimes we waste time asking God to give us stuff that's already ours. For instance, God, give me more faith. No, feed the faith I've already given you. I've given you faith. The problem is not that you don't have any faith. It's that your faith is not nourished. You've got to get up and eat. First thing, that's what he says, get up and eat. Second thing, beautiful picture here, go out and stand. Go out and stand. 
Now verse, um, verse 8 and 9, after Elijah ate, it says, Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights till he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. That's Mount Sinai. What's he doing? He's going further south away from God, in the wrong direction, deeper and deeper in the desert, right? He's still running in the wrong direction. Even after God has spoken to him, provided all of his needs, and folks, what this speaks to me is sometimes transformation in people's lives and restoration takes time. It, it, I mean, you're not going to come in here today, hear a sermon, and then by tonight, everything's great. It does, usually doesn't work that way. Then it says, there he went into a cave, so he's now at Mount Sinai, finds a cave, and spent the night. And then in the grace of the Lord, and the word of the Lord came to him. See, I don't know why, but that really kind of touched me, that God would come to him in the cave. Not just when he's back on the mountaintop, but even though he's run away from the Lord, and I mean hundreds of miles away from the Lord, and he's hiding in a cave that God still speaks to him there. And church, let me tell you something. God cares enough to speak into the cave in your life and to encourage somebody here. He will speak into your depression. He will speak into your addiction. He will speak into the dysfunction. He will speak into the marital problems and the shortcomings. He's not intimidated by that. The problem is, is a lot of times we're in a cave we don't hear him very well. So God is speaking to Elijah, and he asks a question. Let's look at the verses 9 and 10. What are you doing here, Elijah? Isn't that something? What are you doing here? That's what I almost named the sermon. What are you doing here, Elijah? In verse 10, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altar, and put your prophets to death with the sword. Now, all that was true. All that was true. I am the only one left. Now, that's not all true. And now they're trying to kill me too. See, that's partially true. You're not the only one left, Elijah. You're going to see that in a minute. Not only because of what I'm going to tell you later, but because I'm here with you in the cave. And I've watched you run. All the, I was with you on the mountain when everything was cool. But I'm also with you now in the cave. And folks, God will be with you in the cave in your life. Verse 11. Here's what God tells him to do, even though he's in a cave. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, because the Lord is about to pass by. Isn't that great? I mean, God is going to speak to him. So then we go to verses 11 through 13. He's about to pass by, and look how he does it. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains. You know, we, we just read that. How do you get a wind that is so strong it can tear a mountain apart? and shatter rocks. Folks, that's pretty good wind right there. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, the whisper, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out, and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said, second time, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> Second time. See, there, there's so many more dramatic ways that God could have revealed himself. But he says, you know, there was a wind and there was an earthquake and there was a fire, but God wasn't in it. But then, so why are you listening to this? Please don't miss this. This might be the thing you want to carry home with you. Why does God speak to Elijah in a whisper? You know why I think? Because God would speak to him in a whisper by saying, I whisper because I'm right by you. I'm that close to you. You can hear me in a whisper. Isn't that good? You can hear me. You know, how long are you going to stay in this cave? How long are you going to not believe me? Elijah, just listen to my whisper and I will tell you what I, I want you to do. Maybe for some of you, it's how long are you going to refuse to stay in that cave of unforgiveness? How long are you going to lie awake at night and fight, fight, try to fight a battle that I've already won if you'll just give it to me? 
Then the third thing that God does for Elijah is he gives him redirection. Verse 15, so the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. That's important. See, go back the way you came. And I, need, I, I feel like I need to tell somebody in here today, go back the way you came. Another good title for this sermon would be, you'll find it where you lost it. Whatever it is in your life, wherever you lost it, that closeness to the Lord, that living for him, you'll find it there. Go back there. Redirect. You see, it says in verse 15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. That's way up north again now. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Syria. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And also Elisha, son of Shaphat, to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any that escape the sword of Jehu. Here's, the, here's what he was saying a while ago. When, when we said Elijah wasn't totally right. God says, I have reserved 7,000 men in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. In other words, no, Elijah, you are not alone. And you're not alone. None of us are alone. In the middle of all that we're dealing with, and all that we're seeing, and I know you get discouraged, and I get discouraged. But one of the ways I get out of it is to remind myself, I've got millions and millions of believers who believe just like I do. And they're just as concerned, and they're, you know, and, and God still cares, and God still loves us. Now, I'm not trying this morning in any way to manipulate your emotions. I mean, you take this message however God intends it to speak to you. But I believe that God has put bread by some of your heads this morning. I believe he's speaking a word into your situation. And he's calling you out on that mount of his presence. And it's saying to you, go back to where you lost it and find me again. It's all by grace, folks. Amen. It was grace that you got saved. It's grace that will get you through. So go back to that grace that God has for you. I'm going to ask you to bow with me. I want to tell you on the authority of God's word today that no matter what you're going through, no matter how, have, what you have gone through or what you might go through, the same grace that saved you and brought you this far will carry you the rest of the way home. I don't care what threats there are against you. I don't care what mistakes are staring you in the face or what pressure you're facing. The Spirit of God says, please keep rolling after me. Keep following me. You might be pressed, but you don't have to be crushed you might be persecuted but you don't have to be abandoned you might be struck down but you're not destroyed keep trusting in me so Lord we pray this morning in Christ's name for every discouraged disheartened son or daughter in this room I pray that this could be a day that any believer in this room that's been living in the cave and believing the lies of the enemy would draw near to you who is closer than even the mention of his name and to hear you whisper as we breathe in your presence we thank you for your word and we make a resolution in our heart 
to go back the way we came, the way of grace. Would you pray now in your own heart, in whatever way the Holy Spirit has spoken, would you listen and, and respond in your heart? Thank you all so much. Have a wonderful, beautiful Memorial Day. Don't forget, we still have youth tonight, but they're going to the bowling alley. Bolarama, not Bolarama, but Bolarera or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, have a good day.